Hello listeners, welcome back to the pod. 2022, we have got Steve on the show today. Steve has been on our pod a few times now. Uh, is that right, Steve? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think twice before. Twice before. Uh, do you want to quickly let yourself introduce Steve for the listeners? Sure, no problem. Look, um, Steve Moriarty is my name. Uh, I, I work out of Brisbane. Um, I've been an investor on a private level for about, it's actually coming up to about 25 years now, um, full-time since about 2006. Uh, before that, I've had a fairly varied sort of career. Um, I'm coming up to 59, so I've had a fair bit of private sector experience, a uh, bit of public sector experience. I've been a political advisor. Um, so that um, basically is the, the short part of it. And just adding that uh, in about the last probably four years, I've been working with Pete Wargen, who uh, most people might know as a property expert. We've been doing that for a while. And it's, uh, as you, we're probably going to discuss, it's a fairly interesting sort of time to uh, be buying and selling and looking at stock markets. Yeah, 2022 start has been a very, it's, it's been a very happening start to the stock markets this year with the Fed policy changes and all. Actually, let's, yes. let's just jump straight into it. Um, so obviously, um, there has been, uh, so Fed had its first meeting, uh, Jan, last month, talking about QT, quantitative tightening, and also possible rate rises up to the, I mean, they're, they're talking about two to three, uh, and then you look at some of the other analysts, they're talking about six to seven rate rises. Yes. And that obviously had its impact on pretty much all asset classes, to be honest. Hmm. What is your take, Steve, on that at a very high level before we drill into the stocks? I think, um, look, I, there's, a, there's a little bit to dig into here. And I'll just, just take your listeners back on a, a little point of theory. The general idea is that when interest rates are falling, that stocks and companies and uh, properties become more valuable because you're paying less in, in debt. Um, that's the, the short of it. Now, the, that, that theory came out in about 19, oh, don't hold me to it, but I think it was about 1980. And it was, it was generally called the Fed model. Um, and so as interest rates fell, uh, stocks rose, and that was really good. And so they said, hey, falling interest rates equals, you know, rising asset prices. Now, of course, the opposite was, well, that must mean that rising stocks, uh, rising interest rates are actually bad for stock markets and property markets. Now, that is actually not the case. If you have a look at the research and what you find is there's actually very little correlation in the uh, terms of asset prices and interest rates. What there is, is a short-term correlation of probably about six months. But after about 18 months, interest rates are no longer a big influence. Now, the reason why is quite simple. If you're growing, if your economy is growing, you know, three and four percent, People are, are fairly uh, optimistic, you know, wages are rising and asset prices are rising and the stock market's going well. If they raise stocks, generally people don't go, oh, well, that must mean my property's worthless, therefore I need to do, you know, sell it or my stocks are worthless. 
generally what you're doing is you're projecting that, oh, well, if they're rising rates, that's because it's good and it's going to get better. So therefore, it tends to, there are periods when asset prices actually increase as interest rates increase. Um, however, the, 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 the Fed policy of the last probably 10 to 13 years since the GFC has been that strong belief of lowering interest rates has led to the inflation of asset prices. Generally, I can tell you the argument is really about valuation. When the stock market crashed in 2009, um, interest rates were quite low, of course, and stock prices went up, but they went up because the valuations were cheap, not because interest rates were falling. And as a counter to that, in 2000, when the, uh, you know, and we'll talk about the CAPE ratio later, Schiller's PE, it was at about 44, which is the highest it's ever been. Now, over the, the next two to three years, the Federal Reserve kept cutting interest rates, but the stock market kept declining. And it was quite simple. It was because we'd had a fantastic run from 1982. So, I, you know, I think at the moment, we, the narrative, if I can put it that way, is changing a little bit for people now contemplating interest rate rises. And so I think what's happened is markets have become nervous that, oh, well, the lowering of interest rates is stopped. Now we're on the up cycle. Oh, and the theory says that that's bad for stock markets. Oh, therefore, I should get ready to start selling some of my stocks and I'm bearish. So I think that's the, the general mainstream sort of theme. Um, and I think that's starting to play out along with the inflation that we've seen, um, which is a, a bit of a separate issue. But in terms of interest rates, I think the Fed is signalling to investors that they're, they're looking at rate rises. And I think the market is reacting according to you know, what they think is coming in the future. So interest rate is one thing, and you explained that pretty well, it's correlation to the stock markets, right? And obviously the other thing is the money supply, right? So the money supply over the last year or two has been growing, right? And now Fed is talking about QT, quantitative tightening. Yes. What is your take? And when you combine the two interest rates rising and QT in parallel to that, which means liquidity drying up in the market in, in some shape and form. So yes. how does that impact the stock markets? Well, generally, it, it, it impacts the market in terms of the flows into the market. Um, and again, just to take you back a bit, and you would know this, Jazz, that the original QT was quantitative, uh, QE, sorry, quantitative easing, was about putting money and liquidity into the banks so that they could remain viable and keep the money flowing. That was generally the idea. The, the corollary of that was, oh, there's all this money being washed into the, the economy and that's why, that's why stock prices are rising. Now, there's some validity to that, but it's not completely a money supply story. Um, However, as I said, there is some validity to that. Now, again, you're seeing the opposite, which is, well, they're going to do some QT, quantitative tightening, that will reduce liquidity, and therefore that will be a negative for markets. Um, I think that is, that's fairly valid, 
Um, but you've got to look at private lending as well. Um, lots of people will talk about the money supply, but there are two sources of money supply. There's the government spending, which has been, you know, as you know, in the US has been very large as a percentage of GDP. And along with that, there's the private sector uh, money creation, if I can call it that, by the banks lending to people like you and I who walk in and say, hello, I want some money to buy a house. So you've had a double whammy um, in terms of government supplying the, the market with a lot of money and also the banks lending money with the QE operations. So combined, you know, you look at the US, you've got booming property markets and booming stock market. So it's been a fairly lethal combination. Whether, and, and now the Fed is saying, well, we're, gonna, we're going to reverse the quantitative easing into quantitative tightening. Um, whether that plays out on the market or not, I'm not sure. But again, what I say to people is, you really want to have a look at stock valuations. And in the US, particularly, as you know, in the growth sector, they're extremely um, overvalued. And more recently, of course, a lot of those, you know, popular stocks have crashed 50 to 60%. So at the moment, we've got a fairly uneven stock market between value stocks where nobody's wanted to be for 10 years because the money has been going into growth stocks. But now that's, we're seeing a reversal there. And so I think it may, and I stress the word may, look like 2000 where some sectors will do really well because they'll be tethered to the real economy. So that might be energy, you know, if, if, if economic growth picks up. But sectors that are overvalued, which will be the um, a lot of the NASDAQ stocks, they may fall at the same time. So I think it's a time where you will, you've sort of got two or three economies operating at the same time. And it just depends which one you're, you want to talk about. You know, do you want to talk about the, the growth stocks Oh, that's terrible. Or do you want to talk about the value stocks where they go, oh, it's all fantastic. So it's a it's a bit of a, a, a sort of bifurcation in terms of what's going on. And I think we're seeing that also in the inflation field where some things you know will benefit from inflation and others won't. So it's a very, it's a very sort of um, divided field at the moment. Mm -hmm. So before we get into the growth versus value stocks and what sort of sectors will perform, um, current indicators, when you look at whether it's the Cape Schiller or whether it's the Buffet indicator, all of those ones, right? What is your take when you look at those indicators? I think Cape is sitting at somewhere between 35 to 40, whatever it is. Buffet indicator is, last I checked, was around 200% or something. Yes. What is your general take on that? Well, if you look, and we, this is what we sort of teach people in our courses, if you have a look at market cycles, you have this simple bull and bear markets, okay? And when you get, everybody loves a bull market because everybody makes lots of money. You can buy garbage stocks and they can still do well because there's plenty of money around and everybody's having a great time. Everybody hates bear markets and they hate bear markets because they lose money um, or your stock values fall. Now, what we know is, Bull markets follow bear markets and bear markets follow bull markets. So what we say is, let's look at where we are in that market cycle. And you can use Schiller and the Buffett indicator to tell you where you are. That's their purpose. 
So when you look at, as you just said, when you look at the Schiller ratio at about 30, I think it's about 37 or something, it's, it's been as high as 40, so it's come down a bit. But what that is saying to you, Jazz, is the market is very, very expensive based on the cycle. Now, Schiller uses a 10-year cycle. What, and importantly, what people do is often say, oh, well, you know, it could go higher. And, and that's correct. But if you're a market cycles investor, which I, I advise people to be because that's the way you make good money and avoid losing money is by getting in rhythm with the, with the cycle or getting in sync with the cycle. So from that point of view, often the, the, the simplicity of the cake ratio and the Buffett indicator will allow you to understand where you are in the cycle. And from there, you can then adjust your portfolio exposure accordingly. Mm -hmm. So for example, at the moment, you're looking at basically zero or even potentially negative return if you're investing money now over the next 10 years. So what you want to do is say, well, hang on, I don't really want to do that. I'm going to sit there and wait until the market provides me with some really good opportunities. And we, we're seeing a few of those in which we can talk about later. Um, but generally, the market is very expensive and it's probably due for an extended bear market after we've had, you know, a great 13 years, particularly in the US, where the market has made something in the order of about 600%. So, you know, those, if you look at, again, if you look at the market cycles, those, those um, gains often are historically given back. Mm. So define bear market in this case. I think so far we have seen on S&P 500, 12%, 12, 12.5% correction, more on NASDAQ probably. Right. Um, at the moment, it's all talk uh, whether narrative will meet, meet reality or not. That's the question in terms of the rate hikes, policy changes, yes, infrastructure bill, all of that stuff. Right. Um, how do you see the bear market, and where do you see bear market ending? Like, what's the what's the, what's yes. the point where you go? You know what? That's the we are close to the end of this market. Basically. Yeah, yeah. If it is a bear market. It's, there's two ways for it to, it's a, you raise a really good question. And when you're investing, you're always looking at the future, you know, trying to sort of in a way predict what's going to happen where you can capitalise on that. Broadly, and I've been dealing with this issue for about two or three years, there are generally two types of, of bubbles, if I can put it to you that way. You can have a stock market bubble and those are generally based around uh, uh, new era stocks or, you know, like we've had in technology stocks. We're going to be all in self-driving electric vehicles. We're going to have drones. Um, you know, there's going to be robots everywhere and all this sort of stuff. And those stories talk up the prices of those companies, which is what we've seen. Now, when that happened in the 2000 dot-com bubble, when they exploded, those stocks did what they were doing, what they are doing now, which is they fell 50 or 60%, but the market only fell, you know, about 10. So what happens is technology bubbles usually impact the stock market, but not necessarily the real economy. 
okay? You know, people still toddle off and go to work and do their job and go, oh, you know, the this, you know, meme stock is down 40%. Oh, that's interesting, but they still go off and buy their Starbucks coffee. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got, to, you've got to separate that out from something like a property bubble, which was the GFC, and the reason why that was so damaging over them because it really impacted the real economy. And now what I mean by that is when you go out and borrow a lot of money, you've got to repay that money back. And it's a similar operation in the stock market to margin loans, okay? The more you borrow, the more you've got to pay back. And what happens is if a property bubble bursts, lots of people have then got to pay back this money on on a loan and a property or the asset that they then go, well, actually, I, I borrowed 500,000 because I was going to sell it for 800. Mm-hmm. Now it's actually going backwards. Um, I need to get rid of this thing. So you can do that and take a loss or you can continue to pay the loan down. But the problem you have there is the more debt you have in the system, particularly private debt, the problem you get is people have got to devote more and more money to paying down the property. And if interest rates are rising, so for example, let me give you an example. Let's say you pay $500 a month on your investment property. And then they say, well, rates are rising. And you go, oh, all right, now I've got to pay, you know, 650. So you've now got to find another 150 a month. And that might come in the form of saying, all right, well, look, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll skip the Saturday breakfast out at the, you know, at the coffee shop. Um, and so what happens is that filters into the real economy. And so the, the restaurant says, well, listen, Bob, don't come in because, um, you know, jazz is not coming down on a Saturday morning as well as 20 other people. So we're reducing the revenue. So in other words, what you get is you get this vicious circle where the economy starts falling because people are not spending, but people are not spending because they've got to pay down the debt that they've got on, you know, the the stocks they hold or the property that they hold. So they've got to pay back those loans. So it becomes a matter of the government generally trying to avoid these declines. But the problem we've got at the moment is we've got this asset price inflation where property and stocks are going through the roof And if you raise interest rates to cool those prices down, you'll kill those prices, but you'll also kill the real economy. And so it's a, a, you know, we're sort of caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. And generally, the the property area has more extensive economic damage to the fundamental economy, like the GFC, than technology sort of bubbles had like in the uh, in the dot com stuff. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, you have to decide: do the markets fall swiftly, as generally is the case with tech stocks, or does it does it grind down slowly, as in general happens with, um, for example, in property in cases where property might be overvalued. Um, so really, I, I'm just sort of saying to a fellow this morning. You know, if you've bought uh, if you've bought a stock at a dollar and it's going to fifty cents, whether you lose that fifty percent over a year or ten years, you're still losing a lot of money. Um, it's basically about 
you know, how do you want to take your medicine? Do you want to, you know, do you want to rip the Band-Aid off quickly or do you want to rip it off, you know, slowly? Um, it's not a pleasant place to be in in either circumstances. Mm -hmm. So if you were to use S&P 500 as a benchmark figure, right? Yes. The current correction of roughly what 12.5%, like I was saying before. Yes. Do you see it bottoming out? I mean, not, not a financial advice. It's it's to your yeah, yeah. all of that stuff. But yes, yes. curious. It's historically, again, you know, you've got to look at history because we've got enough data now to show and, and understanding about people's investor psychology to know that you get these bull and bear markets. So if you go back in history, what you find is the higher the, the CAPE ratio or the market goes, the more it falls back to get to the average. So if I can use some, um, the average CAPE ratio is 17. So at 40, you're over, you're, you're, you're you know, double the value and then some. Mm -hmm. So to get back to 17, you've got to lose 50%. Okay, 50% of 40 brings you to 20. Now, what generally happens is that momentum continues downwards to where the CAPE ratio falls below the average. And then at some point, you get another bull market, but you get that after a fairly serious fall. And so, for example, the NASDAQ in 2000 fell 82%. Mm. But now... When you say that, most people go, oh, geez, oh, well, I can't see that happening this time. Tech stocks have already fallen 50 and 60%. So it's already underway. Mm -hmm. So it never hits the average and then goes back up again. So when does it finish? I can't tell you when because bull and bear markets don't go by time. They go by valuation. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is I can say to you, look, we know that we've been well above the average for a long period of time. You would expect it to be below the average for the same valuation amount. So what I'd say is we may start declining this year. Now, we might get to the end of the year and be down 25%. But again, what, uh, you know, what happened in uh, the, the decline of 2020 was the market dropped 30% and the CAPE ratio was at 33, it only went to 23, you see? And most people were saying, oh, historical buying opportunity. That's not correct because at 23, it was still well above the average, mm -hmm. okay? And so what we know from market cycles is it's got to fall below that average of 17, and it may even well get to 15 and 10. Mm -hmm. Now, from where we are at the moment, that seems outrageous. But I can tell you that indeed that's what happens. Mm -hmm. But the good news is that will create lifetime buying opportunities. But you have to get through that that huge decline and that real investor pessimism, where people will say to you, "Oh my God, you know, I'm never going to buy a property again," or oh, "I'm never going to buy a stock again." And that's the time that you start investing, and 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 build a good portfolio then. Mm. So buy when there's blood on the street. That's the one. <laughs> and as they say, even if it's your own. <laughs> <laughs> Majority of the times. Yes. Um, so where do you see, which, which 
markets do you see outperforming in 2022, Steve, based on the macro setup so far, what we know, and it, the landscape will change as we as we go deeper into the year. Um, yes. Where do you, which, which ones do you see with a more positive outlook uh, with what's known? Yes. I think, um, look, I work in roughly 10-year cycles or longer. So what you want to do is you want to say to yourself, okay, where has it been really good for the last 10 years? Because you can generally say that the next decade's not going to be that good. Now, the flip side and the good news is, where's it been awful for the last 10 years? And that will probably revert and do well. So what we know is over the last 10 years, there's been a few things that have, have, haven't performed. One is emerging markets. The second one is commodities. And the third one is gold. So if you, have a, if you were starting out now, what you would say is, Let's go and look at emerging markets and see where uh, see where markets are cheap there. Now, there's a few that are very cheap. Turkey is very cheap, and it's in you know, <clears throat> excuse me, current sort of turmoil about the the currency. Mm-hmm. Um, Russia is cheap, and I you know, if your listeners go back and probably listen to where I've I've done podcasts before, I'm, I've I've talked strongly about Russian stocks because they're still very cheap, and they have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now. With Russia, the caveat has, has currently, or the caveat I'm currently talking to people about is sovereign risk given the, the threat of war there. Mm-hmm. However, you don't, you don't pay cheap prices for a, 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 you know, a cheery consensus. So Russia is cheap for a reason, um, but I still think it's, it's good value in terms of stock markets. Um, unbelievably solid companies there that are cheap. And I'll declare to your listeners that I, I own Russian stocks and have done very well out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Turkey is another place I see doing well. I'm, I'm currently looking a little bit more at China. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, China has performed badly in the last 12 months. And so I suspect there may be a bit of a rebound there. Um, in, in commodities... If you have a look at last year's commodity chart, you will see that the ones that actually lost money were gold, silver, palladium, and platinum. Precious metals. So, yeah. So that's that's a place. And just to give your listeners a tip, there's an ETF on the Australian stock market which contains those four metals. So if you look, what you're doing is you're basically buying a bunch of the losers, okay? And again, that's proven successfully over the long term, successful over the long term, because, you know, what happens is suddenly if the market declines, people will rush into gold for safety, okay, and, and precious metals. So there's commodities. I, I, um, Pete and I have discussed on uh, with our clients about 18 months ago the benefits of buying oil, and that's been a fairly sort of solid double for, for us. Um, I still think there's more, li- uh, there's more life in oil yet. Without boring your listeners too long, it's basically about a, a supply constraint mm-hmm. um, and also because I think when we get past COVID and we really get back to, you know, normal then we'll see some growth and that will that will come through in the oil price. Mm-hmm. Um, geopolitically, I think oil is is um, 
looking at the danger in the Russia Ukraine area, and if that if that goes further, then I expect oil to go, you know, gangbusters under that scenario. So that's a bit of a hedge play as well. Mm-hmm. And then as as um, I just mentioned, gold has been out. If you go back and look at um, decadal returns, what you see is when gold does poorly, stocks do well. Mm-hmm. Then when stocks do poorly, gold does well. Mm-hmm. Now. For the last decade, gold hasn't done much and stocks have, you know, killed it in the US. So, again, going forward, according to these patterns, you've been saying, well, I'm pretty well thinking gold's going to have a better 10 years than the US stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the sort of areas I'm, I'm focusing in on at the moment. Um, developed markets are a little bit tougher. Um, I, think, I think the UK market... Um, offers some attractive companies there. And again, I hold investments there. Mm -hmm. Um, So Australia, I also am sort of, I'm I'm bullish on Australia, but I'm I'm not bullish in the short term. And what I mean by that, Jazz, is Australia is predominantly an exporting commodities economy, which puts us in the same basket as the emerging markets. Mm-hmm. So we are, and we always have been, a sort of first world country with a third world sort of export base, mm-hmm. which is predominantly commodities. Um, and if commodities are going to do well over the next 10 years, I think Australia will. Mm-hmm. However, and, and part of that is, I think in the last 10 years, you've had a very, very solid property man, market. And I think that's where most of the money has gone, which has in general, if you look at the Australian stock market, it's underperformed. You know, we're still at where we were in 2007 or something. So it's been a pretty lacklustre performance. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is because the markets have been surviving just on sort of superannuation money. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the bulk of lending has gone into the property market which then leaves people less money to put into stock. So I think, but I think again that may that may rotate as if if the property market tends to come off a bit. I think the money may move back into stocks, mm-hmm. and if the global economy grows, then Australia will grow along with it, and commodities will do quite well out of it. Mm-hmm. Fair point. Um, you talked about the emerging markets, right? Within emerging markets, anything specifically? Uh, that you think will do well? I think there's... Now, this is a a broader brush, but it pertains to emerging markets. Growth has done phenomenally over the last 10 years. What you again find is that when growth performs, value doesn't perform as well. Mm -hmm. When value outperforms, growth doesn't perform as well. So they, they do this dance of, you know, Outperformance, underperformance, outperformance, underperformance. And if you have a look in emerging markets, the CAPE ratios generally are reasonable and probably even, you know, relatively pretty good, 14, 15, around there. Within emerging markets, there's considerable value uh, opportunities. And again, the reason why is because, Jazz, when... When the market gets momentum, particularly in growth, nobody wants to buy that boring old 
you know, telco company at 7% dividend yield. Steve, I can buy, you know, Beyond Mead or um, I can buy one, you know, GameStop and make 100, but, you know, make 100% in two weeks. So mm-hmm. who wants to buy those stodgy old stocks? Mm-hmm. So they will often sit there unloved for an extended period of time. Then what happens is when the, when the GameStops and the AMC of the world come off the boil, people start to say, well, actually, you know what? That 7% dividend actually looks pretty attractive. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so then value starts to rise again. And so, again, you just see these cyclical dances depending on what sort of category or how you categorise things. Mm -hmm. But we tend to think of growth and value as the main players. And if growth is killing it, nobody wants to talk about Warren Buffett. Then when value starts killing it, everyone wants to bring out the Warren Buffett sayings and not talk about the growth sayings. So I I suspect, you know, my broad brush would be emerging markets. And then within the emerging markets, you have a look at some of the value sectors, which generally call defensive utilities, um, you know, some of the big commodity producers Mm -hmm. um, that are fairly solid. Mm -hmm. Telco stocks are another one that, you know, they... Those ones that are systemic pay a good dividend and will be there through the long term. Okay, I think that's where the value lies at the moment. The blue chip, basically. A little bit like that, yes. Yeah. Now, you did mention about uh, commodities that, Steve, you, you're a bit bullish on commodities overall, right? Uh, yes. But last year have been as well, but gold didn't do that well. And there is, uh, there's no way to prove it, but there has been a lot of talk about that crypto markets took the shine out of some of the commodities. Um, And likes of Bitcoin competing gold and all that stuff. Do you still see uh, precious metals to be performing? Looking at what's going on, I mean, it's a completely different market. Again, it's a it's a it's a gamble of its own. Uh, a lot of meme stocks in there as well, yes. basically. But just comparing the two and seeing what your thoughts are. I think. Look, I'm I'm not a support. I'm not a supporter of cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can tell you, I'm 59. I'm not 19. So, you know, what I'm saying to you is, I've seen a few cycles, and I've seen this, you know, mania in all aspects of markets. Um, It might be, you know, as I say, in 2000, it was dot-com stocks who didn't earn anything, but it didn't matter because, you know, it was about the eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Um, The same thing, they're they're all built on the same underlying fundamental, which is a distrust of government. Mm -hmm. They all come out of the same place, which is the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, They all attract first-time young men, mainly. And they attract a crowd that is very, very vociferous in their attacks on those of us like me who don't believe in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't surprise me because, as I said, I've seen it through other cycles where when you sort of said to people and, and, and in more recently with stocks like electric vehicles where you'd say, well, hang on, this thing doesn't actually sell any cars and have any sales and you know, it's got billion dollar valuations. What they do is they look at you as a non-believer. Mm-hmm. And what, what I'm saying is you can believe or not believe, but I can tell you as an old investor, 
you want to show me the balance sheet and the numbers first, and then I'll take it from there. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why is because I've heard lots of good stories that, you know, blow up. Mm -hmm. um, I think, so that's my sort of background to crypto. I think what's happened is crypto has taken money away from the people who would have normally bought gold because gold has long been considered, again, an inflation hedge. And underlying that is a sort of a bit of a conspiracy theory that, you know, governments will, will create inflation and, you know, we'll all have our value of assets eaten away. Therefore, you should buy gold because it will retain its value. Mm -hmm. um, now, I can tell you, if you want, you can walk into shops and try and buy something with gold. Um, best of luck on that. Um, fiat currency is accepted by everybody um, more than gold is. As an investment, though, it, I, I believe it will probably do all right um, based on those reasons, that it's an inflation hedge. And I think particularly if, if crypto falls further, that despondency will lead people to invest more in gold rather than in, in Bitcoin. I think um, the crypto story for me is if you look at the fundamentals, I'm not talking about the... The, the blockchain technology and the stuff that sits behind it. Mm -hmm. But the idea of Bitcoin being a store of value is difficult to explain when, you know, it, the, the volatility of it is enormous. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's very hard to sort of buy something on a Monday for two Bitcoin and then pay for it on a Friday and you find out it actually now costs you three and a half Bitcoin because Bitcoin's fallen, you know, 20%. Um, that doesn't generally happen with fiat currencies um, in first world countries. Now, it will happen in Argentina or, you know, El Salvador, but generally you will find that the stability you get from fiat currencies um, and gold is better than what you'll find in, in cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very valid point uh, regarding the volatility. When the market goes down up, or down 50%, uh, does it really qualify as a store of value? Uh, easy challenge. What's that, the stock market? No, no, the crypto market. Oh, right. Look, I, I, Jazz, I don't think so. Um, look, I, I haven't read it, you know, I don't call myself an expert on it. Um, I've read a little bit about it and I've, 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 I look at it within the historical context of this being a new era. You know, so everybody's talking about drones and electric vehicles and that sort of stuff. And Bitcoin fits into that story stuff. So what you're looking at is I don't think you can hold it. It's when people start talking about fundamentals, they're talking about those things that they expect that a company will do that will last into the next 20 or 30 years. What we've seen with Bitcoin is a morphing, I think, away from the uh, fundamental arguments about, you know, an alternative currency. And what we've turned into is everybody's now just speculating on the price. Mm -hmm. And so, in other words, we're now talking about two different things. The first thing we were talking about was as a store of value and an alternative currency and what you could use it for and that sort of stuff. Now all we're talking about is the price and how do I make it, you know, how do I get in there and make money out of it? Mm -hmm. And what you're seeing is um, increasing instances of people losing a lot of money 
in Bitcoin or in cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to go to the bank and have the bank say, oh, I'm sorry, somebody just hacked your account and you've lost 20 grand. Mm -hmm. But that's what's happening in Bitcoin and, and in cryptocurrencies. So that's where you, you start to say, well, hang on, this is not a place of where I, you know, where I want to be having my money. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, I think I think it suits certain age brackets to gamble chump change on. Uh, yes. But it's not for everyone, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, look, just to clarify that, Jess, you make a really good point there. It's, a, it's an excellent point. If you want to, you know, if you want to have a speculator, by all means, get in there. You know, I've, and I do that myself. I've got a couple of loose speculative investments, but I don't bet the house on them. Mm -hmm. And the speculators are where you might throw half a percent or one percent of your portfolio at it. And if it, you know, doubles or triples or quadruples, well, you know, good on you. But you don't want to, if it blows up, you go, oh, well, I've just lost, you know, I've lost a, a dollar out of my hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. What you don't want to do is say, I've got 50 of my hundred dollars in this thing called Bitcoin and then it disappears <laughs> or it drops to ten dollars. That's when you say... Well, I could have been a millionaire, which I thought I was going to be, but I ended up being a pauper. Mm -hmm. So again, and you raise a point there that about it's always about asset allocation. How much is this investment worth? Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's a really, really critical point because what you find is, particularly among young people, they over allocate too much money, and they get greedy and think that you know I'm, I'm going to make millions of dollars. And then they forget to actually cash it in and make the millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And it's a painful experience. Mm -hmm. No different to mining stocks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that we've covered a fair bit, Steve. Um, I do want to pick your brain on, I mean, if you, for 2022, if you were to name three stocks, can be any sector, um, that you think will outperform doesn't have to be ASX, could be... Yeah, yeah. Um, US market. Right. Okay, that's a that's a good question. Right, I would think... Um, hmm, what would I say? Okay, look, in terms of... Let me, let me give you... Let me give you three. Um, righto. If you're a long-term investor and you want to compound your money, I would recommend things like British American tobacco in the London market, mm -hmm. okay? Cheap prices, everybody hates it because, you know, those dirty tobacco smokers, uh, everybody hates it because they're disgusting companies selling people a terrible product and they pay about an 8 or a 9% dividend. So I'll take that every day of the week, right? <laughs> they've been around 150 years and they've got an addicted customer base. You're not selling um, that very well. <laughs> no, I know. That, that, you know. That's why I sort of say to people, Jase, you know, like you, I'd say, you know, you should buy American tobacco. And people go, oh, my God, that's terrible. It's like, well, that's why it's cheap. <laughs> but you, you know, if I said to you, look, it's $500 a stock and it's way overpriced, but hell, you should buy it. You know, so I think there's that one. I think it's hard to go if you want to, you know, if you want to be speculative, I think you can, you know, and this is for the inexperienced investor, I think you want to have a look at Russia. I think oil stocks in Russia are, are, are insanely cheap. Um, and I've probably said this even two years ago, uh, stocks like Gazprom, Luke Oil, uh, unbelievably cheap. Mm -hmm. So there's those. If I can give you a local stock, um, 
Look, it's it's tough, really, but uh, there's a couple of things that have caught my eye um, recently. Um, JB Hi-Fi is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, PE of about 11, a dividend of about five and a half, great company, uh, part of a sort of an oligopoly in Australia with, you know, um, Harvey Norman, um, tremendous company, great performer. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's another solid one. Um, and the other one, I think the last couple of days, is a company called Ansel, mm-hmm. um, A-N-S-E-L-L, and the ticker symbol is A-N-N. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's fallen 15%, I think, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the reason why I select that one is because I think healthcare is going to be a very big part of the Australian economy and the global economy over the next um, 10 to 15 years, mm-hmm. because I think the, the theme is that COVID will r- make a lot of us reevaluate what we think is important. And I think health and uh, hygiene are going to come to the fore. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Ansel will do quite well. Again, PE of 10, uh, a dividend of about three and a half, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, P, stocks of PE of 10 is a, a, a pretty cheap stock. Mm-hmm. So I and and but I I will say I like buying stocks that fall a lot. Mm-hmm. That's my sort of forte, if I can put it to you that way. Fair enough. Yeah, JB Hafer is a is a pretty good story. It just keeps surprising the markets year after. Yes. Year. Uh, yeah, I I bought JB Hi-Fi first uh, at about eight dollars. Um, I sold it at about eighteen, and then you know consequently thought I was a genius. <laughs> um, I think it, it went. As, I think it went as high as sixty dollars or something. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's back at about forty-five or something. So, um, but that's you know you, they're the sort of things you know you look at it and you go, man, I just made two hundred and fifty percent. I'm a genius. And then you figure out if you'd have left it, you'd have made you know five hundred and seventy percent or something. You know, so mm-hmm. but that's you know that's markets for you. Fair enough. That's pretty good coverage, Steve. Anything else that you'd like to share? Add on top of what we have discussed? Um, no, I don't think so. I think just a, a one point I would make. I think we're on the cusp of very serious change. Um, and I think those macro issues are going to be extremely important for getting the micro investments right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you can get onto the big changes before everybody else, you can do quite well. And, you know, some of your listeners will probably say, oh, well, that's what I'm doing with Bitcoin and and cryptocurrency. And that may well be true, but you've got to make sure it's a sustainable story. Um, I'm, you know, I think you're getting the idea that I don't think that's a sustainable story. If it is, it's going to be at a lot less value than it is now. But so what I mean is I think there's going to be big shifts in macro things such as, the way CBDs uh, are used, city business districts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think countryside will become very popular. I think agriculture will become very popular. So I think if you can do, look at those, either in terms of property investments or in stock investments, you should do quite well. But so- I, as, as I say, I just urge people to take a 10-year view, not a, you know, not a 10-minute view, um, and look at it and go, oh, he was wrong because it's fallen in the last month or something. 
So that's a very interesting take, Steve, because we have discussed, John, David, and I um, have discussed this few times over the pod of how uh, CBD is going to change in future with the work culture, work from home story. Um, But, and when you talk about regional and on, regional and all, uh, obviously property will perform better in the regional areas if that happens to be the case, provided the underlying assumption is true. But in terms of the stock market, how would you play that in terms of the stock market? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, good question. Look, it's a tough one, um, Jazz. I, I have to say to you, I've looked at agricultural investments in Australia for 15 years. I can honestly say I've never found a decent one yet. Um, so, you know, I'll just put that out there. Um, so I, it, it, it is really more, it may well be a, a riot you know, you might want to look at a REIT that has, and I and I don't even know if there are REITs out there that have predominantly regional That's property. Regional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, in terms of CBDs, I think that the broad theme, that which is pretty obvious, so I'm not telling you anything, you know, you probably don't already know, is environmentalism is going to come to the fore. Mm-hmm. CBDs, I think, are going to undergo a, a tremendous restructure there will be more public space. There will be less uh, roads. There will be more greenery. Um, and they will have to do this to try and get workers back into the city. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have to make it a more attractive feature. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at Sydney, it's just a bloody crowded city now that's got a, mm-hmm. you know, an awful traffic. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you say, well, look, I'm going to flog my property for $3 million, and I'm going to go out to Albury, Wodonga and buy the best house in the best street and live on 10 acres peacefully for a million dollars. So I think that that will necessitate CBDs undergoing a gentrification again mm-hmm. and trying to find out what people, you know, want. And that may well be less shops, more greenery, but it may be more entertainment things like, you know, dare I say, picture theatres or you know, those sorts of things. So I think some type of businesses may move out, um, accountancy firms, banks, all that sort of stuff, and they may be replaced by more restaurants or, you know, play areas or just generally more public space. So in that sense, I would be thinking you'd want to look at some Scandinavian countries to see what their city types are like, bicycle friendly, Mm -hmm. um, you know, those sorts of things. Might uh, might now how you play that? I I have to confess, Jazz. I'm not really sure, but I would think you want to maybe look at the materials companies that will deal in those, you know, rebuilding or remodeling those structures. So, just for example, and this is nowhere near a recommendation, companies like Borrell, mm-hmm. you know, who supply materials and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a very interesting take, Steve, and to completely agree on that. Uh, to be honest, I think the word CBD should be changed to thinking out loud CLD, Central yes, yes. Living District, rather than Central yes. Business District. So it's yeah, a, yeah. go have all the fun. There's greenery, restaurants, events, mm. music shows, um, and all that stuff. So absolutely. Uh, rather than uh, people wearing corporate suits and uh, running around with their coffees uh, to get into a meeting, uh, all of that will change, I think. Uh, over the yes. Uh, with the, with the, with the uh, companies like Zoom making it 
so easier like just you and I right now sitting on this yeah um, yeah absolutely I think zoom for all of its you know problems more of us and more and more of us are getting used to the idea of you know having zoom meetings for people that we don't necessarily associate with or go and have a coffee with so you know it's sort of like if you're my friend we'll meet at coffee shops and restaurants and stuff like that if you're a work colleague well I'll just do a zoom call Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and it may develop into a, a personal relationship, mm-hmm. um, but generally it'll be like, well, you're a work dude, I'll meet you on Zoom. You're my friend, I'll meet you, you know, face to face, and we'll we'll go shopping, etc. Mm-hmm. So one last thing before we end this, Steve, tech stocks obviously, or the Nasdaq uh, has obviously taken a fair bit of hit. Even the likes of Zoom are down seventy six, eighty percent, yes. whatever that is, right? Uh, yes. When we talked about growth versus value. Uh, that probably maybe the next cycle is going to be more value stocks versus growth stocks, right? Yes. Do you think that there's more downside to the growth stocks like Zoom? Or do you think it's uh, seeing the correction and it's just going to be like this for the next cycle? Yeah, I think um, a couple of things. There's going to be a lot of these companies that go bankrupt. And the reason is really simple. They don't earn any money. Mm-hmm. What you do is you buy it on the hope that it's going to earn money. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are other companies that don't earn money, but they have a business plan or a business model mm-hmm. that has a pathway to revenue growth. Mm-hmm. Um, what you've had over the last 10 years is a lot of people having put their money in the companies that are going to get revenue growth that hasn't appeared. Mm-hmm. So just as an example, you know, Uber has been spending 10 to 15 years trying to make money and it's still not succeeding. Now that's in a time where they've had access to basically the cheapest capital you're ever going to get. Mm-hmm. So if you can't make money in that market, then you're pretty well not going to make it in a tough market. Mm-hmm. So I think they can, I think for a start, you're going to see a lot of names that sound familiar go into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, I'm reminded of, I can't remember, I think it was David Ironhorn who said, you know, what's a stock that's gone down 90%? It's a stock that's gone down 80% and then halved again. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think even though you can see a stock go down 80% and think, you know, that's the bottom. I just want to remind people that in 2000, there was this company called Amazon that lost 95%. Okay. So, you know, you can look at the equivalents today and go, oh, I could never see, you know, Uber going bankrupt. No, it's too big. And then suddenly it does. Mm -hmm. Um, If it does survive it can still go down a long way from where you buy it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can tell you, nothing changes your own story, like watching your stock lose 70%, right? (laughs) You suddenly think, maybe it's not a good stock after all. Um, You know, so the narrative follows the price. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's the bankruptcies and M&As that will lead the show over the next few years for for the growth stocks. Like yes. Uber, Zoom, yes. Tesla. Tesla is a 
pretty big example probably yeah um, yeah yeah but you get the point um great that's some great insights steve love the chat no enjoyed it it's been such a long time i think more than a year, almost a year now so it was fun to have you back on the show uh no problem for 2022 sorry always a pleasure to come on and you know have a good have a good chat about stocks and all things economic awesome um to the listeners none of this is financial advice please do your own research uh there's always some speculation and uh, uh personal opinions so bye safe stay safe steve appreciate your time and no we'll we'll have you back uh, at some point